0: welcome to another episode of Positively Calves. Can you believe we're on week six Amy? Oh no I can't I can't believe it's been six weeks. Six weeks of podcasting. So what did you think of last week's interview with Amy? That's the first one I've done on my own.
1: I loved it. I really did and I don't know if it's just because it's different because I wasn't, te- I wasn't there for the interview and it was just you, yourself but it was it, I found it so interesting and it was so funny to hear you speaking to an American friend that you've known for so long because your accent changed I don't know if anybody else noticed it but
0: I'm sure they did I don't know if I told you this at the time but when Amy first listened to the podcast she phoned me absolutely outraged to ask me why I sound so Scottish and I had to point out to her that that's how I sound all the time I just have been moderating so she could understand me for so long that I can't (laughs) help it anymore
1: I don't think people appreciate the the trouble of having the scottish accent and sometimes people thinking that you're irish and you just kind of rolling with it if you've ever had an american person be like oh my god where in ireland are you from and you're like you know what belfast i'm from belfast you just can't <laughs> fight it With the amount of americans like when i worked at summer camp and they'd be like what part of ireland are you from and i'd say scotland and they go no you sound irish and i was just like yeah you must be like <laughs> i just must sound irish <laughs> crazy I'm from that commonly known part of Ireland, known
0: as Aberdeenshire. Yeah, Um, just a little bit east. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit further east in Ireland. No, um, Amy, as we said during the chat that we had last week, Amy and I talk most days on the phone, and I live with a girl called Rosemary, who's from Fife, and occasionally she'll pop in and I'll just put Amy on speaker and say do you want to say hi and Amy cannot understand a word (laughs) Rosemary says I don't think Rosemary's accent's that strong but she there's nothing she's just like sorry you're gonna have to tell me
1: (laughs) you're gonna have to tell me what she said that's wild I love that I had a friend at uni who has an American friend from Wisconsin and they were on Skype and my friend's from the border so her accent's quite smooth And she was telling this American girl about me for the longest time and she was so excited to get me on Skype just so I could say words like backpack and curly whirly (laughs) Um, because I'm obviously from the East Coast so I really roll my R's. Yeah, the challenges of living in an
0: international world with a Scottish accent, I suppose. (laughs) So how has your week been, Amy?
1: It's been good, yeah. I've recently moved my working from home desk to the yoga mat on the floor so I can be lower down. That seems to help my productivity quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been editing uh, my interview with Katie um, from the floor, I find that just helps (laughs) for some reason. Sitting at a desk doesn't, doesn't spark the brain anymore, so I'm sitting on the floor on a yoga mat, and getting that prepared. Excellent. How about you? How's your week gone? Yeah, my week's been okay. Um, Like I said, last week, finally got home to
0: see my folks at the weekend, which was a really nice treat. It had been, I think, 11 weeks altogether since I'd seen them. So it was really nice to see them and to see my niece and just check in with them and see how they were doing. So that was great and of course we had lovely sunshine so actually being allowed to go out a little bit further as well mm-hmm. rosemary and i who I, I just mentioned we went out and played in the river tea for quite a lot of sunday like, <laughs> great fun and then had a the barbecue oh that's the best it was an ideal sunday I, th- I think 20 to 22 degrees is the ideal temperature for me i'm not a big fan
1: of very warm i get a bit crabby yeah I agree 20 21 degrees in the sunshine with a little cool breeze make sure you're wearing sun cream
0: yeah I actually did so on Saturday I my face looked like a tomato on Sunday I remembered to wear sunscreen I went out and bought a sunscreen because I had not even just looking like a tomato in me I had my sunglasses on all day and didn't have sunscreen on here's me <laughs> thinking my foundation have an SPF and it would be fine I had these huge white rings around my eyes and then the rest of my face was bright red. It was not a good look.
1: Like a red panda.
0: Like a red
1: panda. That's cute. I like that. I got the slightest burn because I covered myself in SPF 30 as I do in the sunshine. And I'm so good about it. But I missed this one spot on my back um, that burnt. And it's beautiful. And it's very obvious. And now, now we're wearing jumpers until it goes away.
0: You <laughs> know. So, uh Onto a more serious note, I suppose, Amy, I guess you and a lot of our listeners will have seen on the news this week that there have been protests in the USA, which have now spread to the UK around the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. And we wanted to say before we got into this week's episode that we do at PCAVs take our position as an organisation that works with ethnic minority communities really seriously. And it is a conversation that we want to have around race and ethnicity and equality. Amy and I have had a conversation about this, and we are both really conscious that we are both white, we are both fairly privileged. So, what we wanted to say before we get too far into this week's episode is that that is a conversation we will be having, but we'll be having it at a time when we can amplify the voices that should be involved in that conversation. And give that space over rather than taking up more space with our opinions, which actually don't necessarily have a place. Our place at the moment is to listen and to amplify the voices of other people. We would also take this opportunity just to remind our listeners that the Minority Communities Hub is ready and willing to offer support where it's needed and that we're also a third party reporting centre. So if you do feel that you or someone else has been a victim of a hate crime, please do get in touch. And we will be happy to help with that. and, And again, ready to listen. So as difficult as it is then to move on from that particular topic, you interviewed Katie this week, who is a teacher.
1: I did. Yeah. So I spoke to Katie, who is a primary teacher um, of around ages 10 to 11, about all things education um, during lockdown and how she's been getting on working from home within her profession. So this week we are joined by Katie, who is a primary teacher at a local primary school. Uh, It's fantastic to have you on, Katie, and great to catch up. So how are you getting on in lockdown? Um, I am doing okay I
2: think thank you for having me as well Um, yeah kind of adapting every day I suppose the longer that we're kind of in this situation and I think it's due to change soon Um, but yeah just kind of trying to get to grips to kind of a new reality as much as I can Um, I'm drinking a lot of cups of tea in the meantime
3: as well
1: (laughs) so we have a few questions about um just general education in the time of lockdown and coronavirus and everything else and how everyone is coping from home. So the schools obviously closed quite suddenly with all the teaching moving to alternative methods and teachers must have had to work at double speed to change so quickly. So how how have you adapted to that? How have you adapted to teaching at a distance in such a short space of time? So I think first of all
2: I think as well as it's fair to say that the teachers have had to very quickly adapt. I think it's fair to say that everyone has had to very quickly adapt. And um, my heart totally goes out to the families that have had to suddenly take on the responsibility of trying, you know, as much as they can to teach or at least support learning at home um, with very little notice for them as well. I think we were all told um, on the Thursday or the Friday of that week that, you know, teaching as we knew it was gonna dramatically change. And my first thought was to the families that were gonna have to take on that responsibility and trying to support them as much as possible before we then thought, okay, how are we going to then, you know, supply that teaching and and do our best with with that. Um, So I think that my colleagues have done a fantastic job at having to develop different ways of doing what they would normally do in a classroom, but via technology we've used an app to share our learning um, and the children love the challenge of getting the material that way and then submitting their work back to us as well it's been really nice to see but I think we're all we've all been in that boat of having to adapt um, not, not just my colleagues and you know my, my support the support staff as well they've had to adapt to their way of working as well so we've very much seen ourselves all in the same boat not just the teachers but the families um, everyone involved it's been a very very fast changing um, situation that I think that we're all coping with the best that we can um, and trying to support each other the best that we know as well um, and I think that's really driven us through this whole, this whole period.
1: Because it's been a really big change. I can't imagine being a teacher at this time, especially now. And I can't imagine if I was at school, like if 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 this had happened when like we were at school, this like we we could never have had the technology, we could never have had the means.
2: And I think we're still in a situation as well where you know schools are starting to use technology more in their day-to-day practice. But you know, I think there is still there are still discrepancies between schools that have access to quite an amount of technology and some schools are maybe just starting out on that journey I think that you know there's still a lot of work to do to kind of level level the field in that sense Um, and I think if anything this time sort of highlighted that you know there's still a lot of work um, to be done I think there's still a lot of work that we can do to make learning as as useful and as meaningful as possible but I think we're all we're all trying our best um, to kind of navigate very unclear waters at the moment but yeah I take your point I think that things have moved on dramatically maybe even in the last three or four years and um, but certainly when I was leaving school definitely this wouldn't it would have very much have been you know pen and paper and for some that's still the case and um, I think mm-hmm. we're trying to rule out as much use of technology as we can and support families in that way but it's, it's very difficult it is very difficult I don't think there's one one fits all either i don't think there's one solution for everyone it looks very different um, for for individual families so it's it's kind of adapting to that outlook as well that's quite quite tricky
1: so along the same lines of that what what would you say has been your biggest challenge i think my biggest challenge has just been to to keep
2: motivated to keep to keep going um in terms of making sure that any of the learning that I'm putting out there for my class is interesting, is in in any way active, that it's not all just a pen and paper exercise. Because I think, you know, with the best will in the world, if if I was being exposed to that sort of work every single day, I would very quickly switch off. Um, And that's me as an adult, let alone, you know, as a 10 and an 11 year old. So I think that's been my, personally, my biggest challenge is making the learning as interesting and meaningful as it can be. Um, And that is tough if you're not with the children every day and you're not able to kind of read what what they're wanting to do next. That can be a massive challenge. Um, But we've all tried our best with that. I know my colleagues have come up with really creative ways to to do their teaching. Um, Some of them have done little videos as well, um, so that the children can still see them. Um, and I think that's made a massive difference as well. But yeah, making the learning exciting is quite tricky when it's through a screen
1: sometimes. That's been my biggest challenge. The lockdowns obviously had a massive effect on people's behaviour, especially in terms of like, motivation that. But do you feel like the children's behaviour has changed in the course of lockdown, or do you think they're maybe still like individual children obviously behave differently, but this is a completely wild card situation. So do you think? there's been a noticeable change in the children's behaviour? It's very difficult to say either way. I
2: think that um, you're always going to have some children that regardless of where they are and what they're doing will want to continue to pick up a book or will want to um, write a note to their teacher or will want to get all of the work done as quickly as possible but I think speaking for just myself I I think my behaviour has changed and my outlook on things has changed quite dramatically um, several times over the last eight weeks and I I think that's quite understandable from the majority of children if you know if previously they were really interested in school if they've now switched off because they think well this isn't school as I know it I think that's very understandable and, and very reasonable for you know a child to have that moment of There's no point in me doing my work. So I completely sympathise. I think it's also difficult for me to comment on whether their behaviour has changed because my only communication with them is is through a screen. Um, And it's not in real time either. It's you know me submitting work and them responding to it when they've when they've completed a piece of work. So I'm sure that you know there have been times, you know, at home when children have thought, oh, I don't want to do this today. Um, and I think that that finding that balance between You know your your child kind of wanting to engage and supporting them when they want to do that. And if they're just having a really difficult day, it must be difficult to strike that balance. And um, I can only empathise with families in that situation. It's very tricky to encourage a child to continue to work when they're not in their classroom. And I'm sure for a lot of children, they view school as their classroom. And when they're at home, it's not the same thing. So the pressures must be very intense and I'm I'm very empathetic to a lot of family situations so it's difficult for me to say whether behaviours have changed or not um certainly looking forward to seeing my class again at some point but um yeah it's it's just very difficult very difficult for everyone I think
1: yeah no it must be so it must be so wild to them as well especially for like the very very young ones like obviously you're primary six so you've got Mm -hmm. 10 11 year olds which is just on the brink of puberty really so they're slightly older so they can understand a bit better but obviously like your five six year olds they're not going to know what's going on which has got to be rough
2: yeah it has
1: to be sorry to interrupt it has to be strange as
2: well I think for um, children that are in primary one currently and that they'll never have known any different so Um, my niece for example she is in primary one and for her she's never known that your school year doesn't end in March because she's not been at primary school before so it will be difficult for some children as well going forward knowing that well actually this isn't normally what happens in your last term and having to kind of you know, explain even what's happening on a wider scale to, to very young children must be very difficult as well. I know that my colleagues have done an excellent job down in the infant um, end of the school in, in trying to support families you know, with those types of conversations but it must be strange when those children don't have anything to relate that experience to. They're not going to realise, and so next, there's a long-term effect of that might be that next year when they're in primary two and they get to this point in the year, they might look back at primary one as feeling like a really short year because they didn't have their term four in a school. Um, And it might be quite difficult as a transition for some of those children to accept going forward that they need to be in school for that length
1: of time. Yeah, and I think that'll have a knock-on effect into how they learn in the future. And obviously the children that are learning away from school just now are learning alone and it's going to be difficult for them to keep their motivation up. So do you have any particular like, teaching styles or tips and tricks that you would recommend for parents that could help their children keep motivated? I think families have been doing an
2: absolutely incredible job of dealing with the pressures of a new reality, trying to keep your children motivated just on the day-to-day Helping them with their schoolwork. I know some families will have, you know, set aside an area in their in their homes for learning, and then juggling the whole, you know you know, is my child wanting to do this today or is it, is it not quite working? It must be incredibly difficult. So I think that classrooms are, are great for the children to learn because, you know, there's there's banks of resources. They also have their peers to bounce ideas off of and to learn from as well. And I think sometimes that the children learn more from each other than they might do from a textbook being able to work with classmates I think is quite a big motivator as well to learning and of course a child having to sit at a screen on their own at the moment that motivation isn't necessarily there and again I can't speak for all children because all children are different but I'm sure for a lot of children they might feel that they're the only one that's doing the work at the moment because they're only seeing what they are doing rather than what their friend's doing or what their wider class is doing so I think that them not being in school from that social perspective must be having an effect to their learning overall. In spite of that, though, families are doing a phenomenal job I've seen the work that my class have been submitting and I can see how involved families are in supporting their children particularly children as well that have younger siblings and so the younger siblings being set different work families are really pulling together to support as much as possible but I think yeah I think that the school setting is great for having that social interaction with your peers and obviously that has been missing as an element for quite a long time now that's the massive difference is that obviously myself and my colleagues play a part in the education I'd be remiss to say that we were redundant that would be a bit of a silly thing to say but I think that just having a class full of children who are able to work collaboratively that has been gone for for quite some time so we'll be looking forward to having a version of that hopefully in the near future.
1: Do you think that this style of learning for the kids right now could be a positive for maybe in the future if they were to go to university and they were required to do distance learning? I
2: think the children having to log in of a day themselves and complete tasks fairly independently, I'm sure in some settings and with support in other settings, depending on you know what's, what's happening at home. I think that certainly it will encourage a sense of independence and also help to develop Those digital skills that perhaps on a day to day we try and encourage the use of, but that there are other things that we need to have focuses on as well. So, I guess that those are two areas that this will definitely have helped develop. The difficulty with that is that, you know, the longer that time goes on, the more that you're having to be independent. And I'm speaking from my own personal experience that it is easy to lose that motivation and that momentum as time goes on. So, I, I guess for some children, yes, it will definitely develop those two areas those skill sets but I think that it's still beneficial for the kids to eventually end up in a classroom setting where they're able to work with each other face to face where possible and rather than just that independent mindset of of learning because they're at that age as well where those social interactions are are key um and so developing that aspect of their learning is is as important as their motivation to learn and their their digital knowledge as well so i take your point i absolutely you know i see that there is a link between what some people have to do when they're at their higher studies and what the children are having to do just now but i think there needs to be a balance
1: yeah definitely and it'll be interesting to see how society in general changes with things like this so obviously the effects of lockdown on society are ones that I, I personally would expect to carry on long after the lockdown's been lifted. How do you think this will affect? Like I know it's a big it's a big ask and it's a big thought, but in terms of like long term, how do you think the school and system's gonna change from this now that we know that what we were doing before has to completely change in the light of a pandemic? How do you think the schools are gonna change so that they can adapt quickly to stuff like this?
2: I'm only speaking on my behalf here, and this is pure conjecture and me just spouting ideas <laughs> because I don't, think, I don't think anybody really knows at this juncture how, how really, as a long-term, how to kind of move forward. Um, I think the only thing that's for certain is that um, any developments or advancements in how ICT are used in schools will be dramatically sped up. So I think we're previously, if you know, if an organisation or an individual had an idea about how we should use technology in schools as a as a way of teaching in digital skills, but also as a way of sharing learning, I think that any any ideas around that will be dramatically sped up. Whereas previously it might have taken a year, you know, for a, for a project to be implemented within a school, it, it's very likely to expect that such projects will only take a matter of weeks or a month, two months tops to be implemented um, with possibly even teams within local authorities being established to look at how best to use technology within schools. Um, I think that's one thing that will definitely come out of this because if you know, we still don't know what the landscape is going to look like in in August when the children come back. Um, but it'll be hard to imagine a scenario in which we have everyone back in a school building at the same time as normal. Um, so I think that technology is going to play a profound part in how we physically deliver teaching and how the children carry out that learning as well I think that technology is going to be an absolute central focus to anything that we do going forward so I I think it's going to be difficult to know until even until we've reached the end of this year it's going to be difficult to know how to future plan once we've had a a good few months of working with the children within the same building I think that that's going to be the initial focus will be right let's look at the short term before then a a bigger picture is developed
1: but technology will surely have to be at the heart of it you've got a very i think that's very i would hold you to account with that that technology is definitely going to be the number one priority for schools and obviously they're talking about like um schools reopening in in august maybe not to quite the same scale obviously that they were because that's only three months away but Mm -hmm. given everything that's changed in such a short space of time and like kind of teaching styles have had to change how do you think they're going to do that do you think they're going to stagger returns or do you think it's still not is it still very much up in the air how the system's going to look even as close as august
2: i have no no idea at all um and i totally sympathize with um, my colleagues that are having to start to put plans in place for how this is going to work because i think that whatever decisions are made will be made with the welfare of the children and the families firmly in the centre. But I think that I've already started to see the difficulties that schools and teachers are, are facing south of the border with the decision to open schools at the beginning of June and I just think that there's going to come a point where we're going to have to trial things and I think with the nature of the virus being what it is nobody really knows the long-term impacts and I think that whatever decisions are made there will have to be so many different factors coming to play with it with everything you know from using a cloakroom to how the children go up and down the corridors to how they're dropped off at the start of the day how they're collected at the end of the day it's a complete minefield and yeah I, I have absolutely no idea um it's the only thing I can say with confidence is that I don't know at all it must be very difficult to separate the guidance from the government with your own concerns as
1: well as trying to put in a kind of a one-size-fits-all if the schools so if the schools do go back like like that's what we're going with they're going to go back in August even if it's in a completely different format. But do you think that the schools being closed for so long will have an effect on the kids? Like, obviously, having the schools closed from March, and then it running kind of into the summer break, which is obviously there's not even going to be like a set point that they're going to be able to distinguish between term time and school break, to then mm. go back in August, just in a completely different format, whatever that may be. What, how, how do you feel about that? Like, what are your thoughts?
2: I think that it's going to be a steep learning curve for everyone. I think that learning, it simply won't be able to go back. If it had been a normal term one, we would have planned for all sorts of different things to sort of introduce a new topic and new maths concepts and what we're going to be doing in writing and reading and spelling that term. But I think that as well as we need to make sure that we are catching up with the children as much as we can in terms of literacy and numeracy, I think that school is just not going to look anywhere like it would have done if if this virus hadn't come to be and so it's difficult to know until i'm back in with my colleagues and we're planning you know for how things are going to work i think there has just been a general acceptance that we're probably going to have to accept that there may be days where it's just a series of conversations with your class there are going to have to be those conversations where you know if the children want to ask questions we just set aside banks of time so that we can have a talk about our experiences and kind of almost get to know one another again and of course it's difficult to know whether you're going to have a new set of children um that you're going to be teaching next year or whether it's going to be the same class you know all of those decisions need to be made but I think making sure that you're setting aside time to really have health and well-being conversations, I think that that is probably going to be the centremost focus of teaching come August. But yeah, it, it just, it will, it would not be the same. Um, and I think it would be foolish of me to say that day one, we'll just hit the ground running and, and do the original plans as, as we'd already planned out. I think our uh, health and well-being focus, rather than launching into a topic about the romans or ancient egypt you know the stuff that we probably would have done
1: the focuses will be shift elsewhere so obviously we've seen a lot of changes in lockdown and way in the way that society systems educations all worked what changes have you seen that you would like to see kept on in the future slash what do you find maybe works a little bit better in the new style of teaching
2: I think I've kind of made reference to technology and developments and how we use technology to teach previously. I think that that is a positive that has come. If there are any positives, I think that that is something definitely in my own practice that I've had an interest in for quite some time anyway, how I can encourage digital skills within my lessons and how I can have um, technology built into my own teaching style I think that um, I think that that will inevitably be an increased part of teaching across the country we're seeing the value of children having access to iPads to do their learning it definitely helps to break down barriers to learning as well by having technology available to use to support children that might find even you know putting pencil to paper quite tricky I think that it's going to be beneficial for us to maintain a certain level of digital learning
1: as we move forward. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. I think that's going to be a huge a huge turn in everything, every aspect of life, but especially within the educational system. Mm-hmm. Definitely. A slightly different question, but still obviously along the same lines. Um, obviously, a lot of parents have suddenly become teachers at home and have had their children with them full-time, which for some parents might be very stressful in terms of their life and work-life balance and being at home all the time. So to help them out a little bit, what sort of general tips do you have as a teacher for parents that are now actively having to homeschool their children, which puts them in a position that they've, they've never had to be in before?
4: Wow.
1: So first of all,
2: I totally need to take my hat off to all of those families because um, they are doing a phenomenal job of supporting their children, keeping their children motivated to learn. I I can't even put into words how much work they have done within their own homes. Um, It's difficult. I don't think there's really anything that I can say as advice except don't feel the pressure to try and recreate a classroom setting within your home. Children know that they are not at school. For some children, they will still want to learn off their own back. They'll still want to keep doing things. But I'm sure for many other children, that motivation, that momentum, will not have been able to be sustained throughout the entire eight weeks of this situation. So I think that you know, as much as as families are are, are supporting their children to access the learning that's been provided to them, there is no way that the children are going to view their home environment as a classroom and so what my, my advice would be would be to you know come up with a routine a joint routine with the child about what they would like to try and achieve within a day and if they achieve that brilliant if they don't try not to keep a battle going with it because ultimately as much as I've said that I sometimes struggle with motivation when I'm working from home I can completely understand that it must be tenfold for any child at home and so that's really the only advice that I can give but you know that's from me being able to say give that advice from afar and I'm sure that being in that environment all of the time it must be difficult and really picking battles um must be a part of a day-to-day um you know a day-to-day thing so from what I have seen they have been doing an absolutely phenomenal job so I'm probably not even really in a position to give any advice um and if, if there's anything I can do um from afar to support then I'm available but um I, they've totally they've totally done what they need to do and um, yeah
1: take my hat off to them well that's that's all the educational questions that I have specifically so move on yes. to my my final light fun question so every week we ask guests that come on and speak to us about stuff what they've been doing to get through lockdown we've been referring to it kind of like our sanity corner just things that are getting you through so hmm. what what have you been doing in lockdown that has been keeping you kind of like sane amongst all the, the chaos so I hope my
2: answer's not too boring and um, because I think I'm probably like everyone that I know in that I am a total quiz master now um <laughs> family quizzes um twice a week for the last eight weeks Um, I've also done quizzes with colleagues, um, which have been very interesting. Um, I really enjoyed attending quizzes before lockdown, Um, but definitely the lockdown has encouraged my need to learn pointless facts about food and drink and uh, capital cities. Um, so quizzes have been my absolute go-to um, and they've been nice because I've kind of measured my days in between, right, okay, I've got three days into my next quiz or I have a week into my next quiz. So family quizzes have been great, um, online shopping, has absolutely been something that I've been guilty of as well. Um, And I don't think I've ever known the excitement of someone ringing my doorbell and leaving a package at my front door more than I have done in the last eight weeks. Um, So yeah, those two things have kind of kept me sane. Um, And I think just having the the odd phone call with a friend or a family member or even like a a FaceTime, I think those are the sorts of things that I wouldn't really have thought twice about pre-lockdown. But now that we're in it, those sorts of experiences are, are mean a lot to me. They're very valuable to me. So those sorts of things have kept me sane and going for
1: the odd walk or two as well. Definitely not a, a boring answer. I think that would be the blanket answer for most people. Is like quizzes, yeah. communication, and going for that, you know, government allowed walk, which yes. now obviously we can do as many times as we want. But. Yeah I think that would be the general general statement and it's good to hear like what like generally we have people saying very similar things when they come on and obviously me and Jenny have to do it every single week so we're asking these questions and people are like oh what do you get up to and we have to be like well I mean the same thing so we're having to come up with like new things every week, which is kind of encouraging. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like, oh, I've got to find something else that I've done this week to keep myself going because otherwise when I go on the podcast I'm gonna say the same thing as I've said for the last three ones. Yeah. So it's good to oh. it's good to hear that everyone's having the same almost mundane, but mundane can be good. I think and I hope I'm not that. the
2: only Yeah. I hope I'm not the only person that was horrified when the government came out and said that you could now go out for multiple bouts of exercise. Because it suddenly made me think, oh my goodness, so now I'm feeling the pressure that I've done my one day, my one walk a day, but now am I gonna have to go out more than once to do exercise? (laughs) That that I did not (laughs) I didn't enjoy that
1: announcement. Um Well, thank you so much. It's been it's been a really good, really insightful conversation actually. A lot of things in there that I'd never really thought of from a teacher's perspective especially with no like no inclination to be a teacher or an educator myself so been really good thank you so much
2: no not a problem at all thank you for having me on can I quickly say just before I go as well Mm -hmm. that um, I just want to say a massive um, well done and just totally in awe of all of the um, education staff PSAs uh, teachers that are manning all of the, the hubs at the moment and have manned the hubs from as soon as the hubs have been open as well, they've been doing an absolutely phenomenal job of supporting um, children um, across the authority and across the country as well. So just wanted to say a massive thank you to them. I think that they they are amazing, those individuals.
1: Yeah, that's I'm sure the entire world will agree with you on that one as well. But yeah, I completely support that. It's been fantastic having you on the podcast this week and I hope you return to education in a classroom inverted commas, environment is everything you want it to be. I'll, um, I'll speak to you soon.
2: Thank you very much, Amy.
0: The first of the 7th of June is Volunteers Week. This is a chance for all of us to say thank you to all the lovely people who give up their time to help others. To celebrate Volunteers Week, We asked local people to nominate the fantastic volunteers in their community, people that they know that they thought should be recognised. We asked each person who was nominated to tell us a bit about themselves, the volunteering that they do, and why they volunteer. Here's what they said.
5: Hello, my name is Ian Roy and I live in Creef. I took early retirement eight years ago from a 30-year career in accountancy and I'm also a volunteer with street and school pastoring in Perth typically to patrol on thursday and saturday evenings between the hours of 10 pm and 3 a.m and our role is to listen to care and to offer help and support be it with folks who have had one or two glasses too many with folks who may be homeless or with others who are just simply struggling with life we are of course famed for handing out lollipops and flip-flops but our main role is to offer a listing, willing, non-judgmental ear for folks who need that help. And then to see what we can do to point them in the direction of getting the help that they need. School pastoring is a form of street pastoring for school kids and, importantly, for their teachers. And every Friday lunchtime during term time, patrols of three of us can be found wandering the streets of Perth between the Grammar School, Asda and the Muirton shopping area, interacting with the young folk, answering their questions and having a bit of fun with them and also, as necessary, offering an independent and sympathetic ear to their trials and tribulations. COVID-19 has prevented us from doing our regular patrols, but lockdown hasn't prevented us from praying for folks, for the businesses affected by the closure, for the school kids and for all their teachers and also for all those folks who regularly assist and support us when we're out on patrol. So why then do I do this volunteering work? Well, the selfish answer to that question is that I just love it. I enjoy following the human instinct of helping others, especially folks in less fortunate situations than I find myself in. But also as a Christian, this is one way in which we can take the church to the people. For me, school and street pastoring is a church in action amongst the people. And my hope is that we may be able to return to this exciting work very soon indeed.
6: Hi there, my name is Jill and I'm one of the four coordinators on the Blairgowrie and Rattray Coronavirus Resilience Team. I cover Rattray area along with Sam Stewart. In normal times, my volunteering consists of, I am a leader with three units of rainbows in town. I'm an assistant leader, with two Blair Gowrie Brownie units. I was a driver with Elder Voice. I'm a town hall committee member and I'm also the secretary of Blair Gowrie Players Drama Club. There, I also like to help mostly with the youth backstage. Presently, I'm taking calls from people in Rattray who need some help. Be that prescriptions, shopping, food parcels, We've even had people looking to have their television repaired because the aerial wasn't working. So really, we're open to any requests. We have a chat on the phone with people. Sometimes I go and visit them if I think there's a need to see face-to-face, whilst keeping two metres apart, of course. This week, I've been peeling carrots. I believe there's potatoes coming next. This is for the soup for the Saturday lunch club. I'll also be helping to deliver there. Everybody's needs are different, so we have to be open to everything that's required. Why do I do it? Because I can. Because I enjoy it. Because you do get a buzz from helping others. But mainly because my guide promise I took way back in about 1967 was to serve my community and help other people. So that's what I do.
4: Hi, I'm Hannah. I'm going to be talking about my experiences volunteering and why I do it. I have been a Youth Ambassador for RASAC since September last year. RASAC stands for Rape and Sexual Abuse Centre. RASAC is a charity that supports women and young people who have been affected by rape and sexual abuse. Being a Youth Ambassador includes doing things such as working alongside RASAC's prevention team to help campaign and deliver workshops to community groups. We all meet up every month to discuss upcoming projects and our progress. We support the community by raising awareness and challenging gender inequality and sexual violence. One of the first things I did after becoming a Youth Ambassador was taking part in a Reclaim the Night march to protest against rape and sexual violence against women. We did this to raise awareness that the streets should always be safe for anybody to walk, even at night. Just recently, a few other Youth Ambassadors and I helped give a workshop to a group of parents. Highlighting the dangers that their children might face on social media. I started volunteering after I chose Rassack in school for my YPI, Youth and Philanthropy Initiative. After YPI finished, I really wanted to remain in contact with Rassack. The work that they are doing inspired me to want to take action and make a difference in society. I am very passionate about the social issues that this charity challenges, so I decided to become a Youth Ambassador. Volunteering allows me to give back to my community and help make this world a better and safer place. Thank you for listening.
7: My name is Megan Roberts and I am 20 years old from St Meadows. I am a student at Stirling University and I work in a restaurant in Perth. I have been recently volunteering with NHS Tayside in Newmood Hospital once a week with the coronavirus response volunteers. I've been volunteering in the hospital for seven weeks and during my time, I have been making essential boxes from donations that are delivered to patients and staff all over the hospital. By making boxes for everywhere in the hospital, it is highlighted even more now. that It is not just the COVID wards that are struggling, it is everyone. By providing these essential boxes, it can make a big difference and even put a smile on their face. I decided to volunteer during COVID because I wanted to do something to help. I was keen to volunteer as my mum and dad are already on the front line, Working for NHS in the community and Amazon distribution, I have enjoyed my role as a volunteer and contributing to helping others fight the virus. This role gives me great satisfaction and sense of achievement, and that we are private, providing help to patients that come in with nothing and to staff that just need a five-minute break. I would highly recommend volunteering with NHS, as you can make a big difference with something so small.
8: Hi, my name is Pauline. I'm a part-time therapist and a telephone support volunteer with PCAS. I've had a variety of volunteering roles throughout my working life, from driving, hospital driving, Samaritans, bereavement befriending, organising, fundraising events. I've also managed um, volunteers in my charity retail work for about 30 years and organise training for volunteers. But I very much benefited from the services of volunteers too. Right now, I feel during these unsettling times, we all need a bit of brightening up. And through my telephone support volunteering with PCAFS, I feel I can offer a bit of brightening up. I can offer a listening ear and a positive connection I find volunteering immensely rewarding, especially when I'm unable to offer my face-to-face therapies. I feel it can provide that boost, um, a boost for the well-being of the recipient. And it certainly provides a boost for my well-being. And I feel it's an enormous privilege to be a volunteer. Thank you.
3: So I'm Rosemary McLean, and I've been volunteering for PCAFs on and off for quite some time. Uh, I also do the carers' complementary therapies, which until lockdown was happening on a monthly basis. And when lockdown happened, because of my previous background, um, I was able then to offer telephone support for carers who were bereaved. Unfortunately for carers, particularly during this period, they may not have been with the person that they've been caring for long term and unfortunately it's had um, quite an impact on their bereavement process Um, and it was just really to provide that bit of support during a difficult time. I've always taken an active role for carers and feel that they are a very under-supported client group. I'm now finding myself in a caring role, so I'm at the sharp end of that too and um, maybe just able to provide a bit of support and maybe being able to signpost on to additional supports because it can be a lonely time for people and lockdown has made that even worse. Research has proven that when you go into a volunteering role, it also helps the volunteers' health and well-being. And for me personally, it's good to be able to give back.
0: Hello, it's Jenny here and I am here with Kelsey. Hi. Hi. And Kelsey is going to tell us a little bit about the PCAF's wishing tree. So Kelsey, what's a
9: wishing tree? Okay, so the wishing tree is a space for the people of Perth and Ross to express their ideas and hopes for the area as we recover from the Covid crisis. So what exactly is it and how can people get involved? Okay, so it is literally just a tree. It's Excellent. an apple tree. And what we've done is we've got bits of paper and the shapes of flowers and leaves um, with bits of string on them, people can come and write their thoughts and ideas of what they're hoping for in the future on them and tie them to the tree. Oh, wow, that sounds great. So they should come to the Gateway here on North Methven Street? Yes. So the tree has been placed in the garden area of the Gateway. It's going to be open every Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays. Excellent. And if you're not in Perth or you're not out and about at the moment, how can you get involved? Okay, so as of this week, uh, we've got a team of volunteers who are going to make the resources available for you to write down your ideas in, in community venues, community larders, where you can collect them, complete them and post them to us. Um, all you have to do is write on the envelope, free post PCAPS. no need for a stamp and no address. Excellent. And is there anything on social media that people can do if they want to get involved in the conversation that way? Yes, we're quite big on hashtags. We do love a hashtag here at PK. We do. Yes, there's a hashtag. It's hashtag beyondcovidpk on Twitter. And you can send us a message to PK on Facebook with whatever you would like to write on the paper and we'll write it and pop on the tree for you.
0: Excellent. Well, we look forward to seeing that conversation getting going on Twitter as well as um, people's contributions to the tree itself. Thank you so much, Kelsey.
9: No, thank you for having me.
0: We will speak to you later. Bye. Hello, Amy here from PCAV's Carers Hub. This year, Carers Week will take place on the 8th to 14th of June. And the theme this year is Making Caring Visible. So we have some events planned and some online information to share with you to make caring visible this year in a time where obviously things are a little bit different. We're also going to be taking over Positively PCAVs for a very special episode all about carers and we would love for you to join us then. If you like you can follow us on social media so on Facebook that's at PCAVs Carers Hub to keep up to date with everything that we're going to be doing and how to get involved. So we look forward to you joining us then. Hello, Jenny here. Our special episode for Carers Week will be released on Tuesday the 9th of June as part of an exciting programme of events. We'll pop the links for the Carers Hub social media channels in the show notes for today's episode. Keep an eye on them for more information. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Positively PCAVs and thank you to Katie for joining us and all the volunteers who came on to share their stories.
1: Join us next week where we will be celebrating Caters Awareness Week with a few members of our Caters Hub team to speak about the challenges of different age ranges and recognising carers within your community. That's right. And next week's episode will come out on
0: Tuesday rather than Friday because it's part of an exciting programme of events that the Carers Hub are planning for Carers Week. Yeah, they've got quite the schedule lined up. They do. I am really looking forward to seeing some of the things that are happening. So keep an eye on their social media and the main PCAVs pages for all of that. In the meantime, take care and we'll see you next week.
1: See you next week.
0: Positively PCAVs is a member of the Fair City Podcast Network. Your hosts are Jenny Keenan and Amy Bryson. This week's editing was done by Lindsay McCallum. Thank you to Katie Nichol and Kelsey Bruce for their contributions to the episode and to those volunteers who appeared. Ian Roy, nominated by Sandy Gunn. Anna Lewis, nominated by Jack Bell, Rosemary and Pauline, nominated by Peacast Caters Hub, Jill Oakes, nominated by Samantha Stewart, and Megan Roberts, who was nominated by Catherine Roberts.